Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to the Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie, how are you this morning? You know what? I love that it's Friday. I just have to be honest. Like, I want to be someone who loves every day, but I do get excited on Friday. I'm like, yeah, okay, so Okay, so, so are you saying that um, you're going to be glad to be away from our listeners? No, no, I didn't. Is this what? Is this? <laughs> I love Sabbath. I love Saturday. It's such a good day. Yes. Yeah. A whole day of worship. Yeah. It's just epic and amazing. And of course that starts for us at sundown this yeah, evening, which is just which is just the best. Yeah. And often yeah, imagine if it started at midnight, you'd be like busy every Friday night until midnight. Yeah, stuff and then you'd be um you'd be fried the next day when you go to church and be sleeping in church. But you should like some people do. Like <laughs> But you're Friday right. night, I see Friday what you're night, saying. Friday night is my night for going to bed early. Oh, it's the best. Super relaxed. Have worship, have meal together. I start feeling sleepy at like 7 o'clock. Oh, it's so good. It's often also the day that I read most because I feel less guilty. Like all through the week, if I'm doing uni or have to prepare stuff for like this or whatever, it's like I have to be doing work. Whereas Friday night comes, I'm like, I get to do what I want. So like, I just have a <laughs> list is. of like 20 books Guilt that I want to read. <laughs> free reading time is yeah, it's the, best. the best. Yeah, it is the abs- And guilt-free rest time. Uh-huh. You know, because if you didn't have the Sabbath, you'd be like, oh, you know, I should be working on the car. I should be working on – well, I would be. Yeah. <laughs> you might not. But I would be. I should be working yeah. on the car. I should be working on the house. I should be working on the backyard. You know, I should be – I've got this to do that. I have a guilt-free day. I know. It's the best. To just take a day off and worship. Yeah. It's amazing. And I think friends have said that to me before. They've been like, man, I just need the time to not feel – and I was like, you know, that's like that's why I do Sabbath. And some of them – because like some of them are Christian, they look at me really funny and they're like, oh – It's just awesome. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, let's have some positively different news this morning to cheer us on our way. Okay, so let's just have a little go back into imagination when we were kids and we played, I don't know what you guys played, but like you pretended you were like a knight or, yeah, actually I preferred that, the adventure thing than, than being a princess. But there's a boy in Northern Ireland I don't know how to pronounce his name because Irish have weird names. I even tried to Google it and it didn't tell me. But could be Fionnan, could be Fionnan. Anyway, he's Northern Ireland. He received a metal detector for his birthday. Oh, cool. Yeah, isn't oh, but, it? Oh, yeah. You know, I've never owned one. I've always wanted one. I know. There was a guy at my church when I was growing up who had one and he'd bring in like little amazing things and we were like, whoa, this is the coolest. But story gets better. He goes out. He's... First little, like, whatever, nothing. Second, third thing, ding. Guess what he found? A potentially 300-year-old um, piece of a sword. Oh, really? Yeah. How good is that? that? That is so cool. I was like, that's the best. You would not find that in Australia. No, <laughs> no you would not. In fact, if you did find that in Australia, that would be very special. But I just imagine if you're a kid, I don't know if this guy does, but if you're a kid... And you found this, you'd just be like, I'm going to be a knight. I'm going to slay the dragons or like do the, you know, do the things. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, All day long. Yeah. So Look it's not a full that. sword. It's just There's a hilt a and it. a little bit. Yes. Uh, but they originally, so he was out with his dad. Uh, mm, yes, his dad. 
Yes, he was out with his dad and a cousin. They didn't actually know what it was to begin with. It was covered in mud. They were just like, oh, well, it's dinged for some reason. Like, we'll take it home and wash the mud off. And then they're like, oh, interesting. Um, yeah, because you can see the, it's got the um, – it's, it's a basket sword. So it's got the full basket hilt. Okay, I was like, I don't know what that means. Yep, but you you're going with it, confidence. You can, you, can see yeah, what, yeah. you can see what I'm saying now. It's got a basket that goes around your hand yes. as a handguard on, yep. on the hilt of the sword. Mm. Now, what was the purpose of that? So they didn't like whack you? Uh, the, the purpose was that you didn't get your fingers cut off in a sword fight. Perfect, perfect. Yep. Actually makes sense. There was, obvious, there was also a whole bunch of little uh, pieces that were attached to the basket that what you would use uh, in defense and attack as well. There were little catches on it where you would catch the opponent's blade, twist it out of his hand. There'd be a, uh, oh. a pommel on the end that you could use as a club to do nasty things to the opposition. Brilliant. Um, right. There would be a, a guard that would stop the opponent's blade from sliding down onto your arm. Uh, yeah, a whole bunch of little things that were, you know, this was kind of sword technology was really a long way ahead by the mm. time you get to 300 years ago. That's quite yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so basically, they took it to a um, arms dealer, and Philip Spooner, um, yeah, said it's a basket hilt. Obviously, as you have just mentioned, which didn't really mean anything to me, but now I know. Hey. Um, and he said it was likely either to be used by English officers and dragoons from about 1720 to 1780. Or it could be a Scottish basket hilt from about 1700 to 1850. So there's a bit more time gap in there. Yeah, the Scots did like hand-to-hand combat. Oh really? Oh yes, that was their that was their thing. Interesting. They were pretty useless until they got close, and when they got close, you did not want to be there. Interesting. Yeah. yeah the British the British preferred uh, you know obviously the longbow and then the oh. musket that took over the longbow. They like they preferred to stand that back distance. and fight. And uh, yeah, the Scots it was all about hand to hand. Do you reckon that's why? So there's going to have tension. Oh, just never. You're getting me sidetracked on history. I love now. history. I want to ask. Okay, I'll ask you. Is that why England? Improved so much, like in going different places around the world, because they had the ability, because they had the resources, like because the Scottish did hand to hand more, they didn't develop like guns and like I know they had them. Part of the reason why Scotland did hand to hand more was because they were poorer. Also makes and, a lot of sense. And ranged weapons were more expensive or took a lot more training. So to train a longbowman mm. would take you twelve years. You know, huh. to, to build up the muscle strength to be able to draw a longbow. Um, took a lot of a lot of work and a lot of practice. Wow! Uh, and of course, then when firearms were invented, Scotland didn't have the money to be able. To, Scotland was always a poorer country. Yes. Well, that's really interesting. Oh, so I'm because they were poorer, they developed you know different techniques mm. and strategies to, to be able well. to overcome that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go them. Yeah. So basically, the family just realised what they had. Um, they reached out to the National Museum's Northern Ireland archaeology curator. To identify the sword, and the fate of it currently remains up in the air. Oh, really? Yeah. He doesn't get to keep it? It's no. Not, no finders I keepers I thing reckon I'd be a bit stink about it. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, the long and the short of it is you find something like that. Don't say anything. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but Do I mean, the right thing. Like, I mean, this Do is probably right a bit thing. of a stretch, but... This is probably one of those stereotypes, but part of me is like, you're in an island. Surely these things don't, they're not totally rare occurrences to find cool things. Maybe they are. Like, this is obviously quite old, but in Australia, you just never would, you know. It's just, when it you, be when you look at that sword, that picture of it's it right there, old. now you can recognise it because of the basket hilt. Mm-hmm. If the basket hilt had been broken off or if it was separate from it when it was found, would you recognise mm-hmm. it other than a random piece of iron, steel, whatever in the ground and just throw it in the recycling bin? Yeah, true. Having no idea what it was. I mean, how many times have I found a piece of random, 
you know, metal in the ground that is just rusted to oblivion and just tossed it in the recycling bin. I may have tossed away something of historical oh, value. Who yeah. knows? We never will know. We <laughs> won't. We won't. Um, but yeah, so I just thought that was a really cool story. Um, another story is an English gardener has become friends with a European robin that he basically at a time in his life when he, he was going through some hard stuff to his very close friends, like they were quite ill. And he um, did some gardening twice a week at this certain area and this European robin was there. Um, it's gotten to the point that the robin will come flying if it even hears his van come up. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's cool. so cool. And, um, and yeah, so he just feeds it like out of his hand and I'll just like kind of chill out together for a while while he's doing his thing. And he got really into photography, like taking photos of this bird and all of his um, friends and even to some people who know him, they've come to know him as like the bird man. <laughs> so does, what does a European robin eat, seeds or worms? That's an interesting question. I don't isn't it? know. Or does it eat both? Maybe it eats both. Because seed-eating birds are easier to tame because seeds really? are easier to you know just go, go, yep. go down to the the uh, the bird shop and buy seeds. Uh-huh. Whereas worms are a little bit harder to come by. Yeah, that's interesting. But I guess he's a gardener, right so well, he's, he's done well. Yeah, yeah, he'd have access to worms. Yeah, yeah, but you want worms in your garden. You don't want to feed true, them to your true. robin necessarily. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning is Dr. Paul Wood. Uh, Dr. Paul Wood, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning, Lyle. Okay, so this morning we, um, and of course you come on as a, as a monthly uh, feature here to talk about health. This morning we're talking about sleep. So this is kind of one of those subjects that I think we all actually really enjoy a good sleep. I've never met anybody who's like, yeah, you know what? I wish I could just live without sleeping. We all enjoy a good sleep. Uh, how much of our time, how much of our life do we spend sleeping? Yeah, great, great question, Lyle. Big, big topic. So we actually spend about a third of our lives sleep. So if you're a 40-year-old listener this morning, uh, chances are you've actually spent 13 years and four months of your life in bed. Okay, so um, let me try and figure this out. I'm 48, so um, I've spent you know maybe maybe 14 years, maybe 15 years in bed. That seems to be a terrible waste. Why do humans well, waste so much of their time sleeping? You would think so. It does seem like wasted time, but it's actually a really important time from the point of view of um, restoring your own your own health. So. If you look at your brain, um, and this is research that uh, goes back to just a couple of years back, they've actually discovered that while you're asleep, your brain actually undergoes a brain detox. So in your body, you have these things called lymphatic vessels, and lymphatic vessels drain toxins away from your tissues. But your brain actually doesn't have any of these these vessels. But uh, what, what researchers have recently discovered is that along the lines of your arteries and your veins, there's these little, little gaps and when you're asleep, uh, a fluid called cerebrospinal fluid actually bathes your brain with this nutritious kind of fluid that um, supplies nutrients, actually removes waste products. So if you, if you actually skip on sleep, you're actually depriving your brain of a, a very much needed detox. That's amazing. If a person doesn't sleep, like, you know, sleep deprivation, uh, will that eventually kill a person? Yeah, actually, it can actually send you crazy. They've actually done some studies years ago where they actually looked at sleep deprivation over, over days. And uh, one, of the, one of the patients I can think of actually developed mental illness following that um, with prolonged sleep deprivation. So 
there's probably no surprises they actually use it as a form of torture um, in, in some countries. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, sleep deprivation, if you, if you lack sleep, it can increase risk of um, accidents, uh, work accidents, um, increases risk of weight gain. So uh, research shows that those who get less than five hours sleep a night actually have a 50% high risk of developing obesity. You're actually three times more likely to develop a cold which is probably fairly relevant to think about in this, in this COVID era. Um, three times higher uh, risk of developing type 2 diabetes. The risk of developing high blood pressure, a variety of cancers goes up. And um, not, to, not to mention the effect it can have on mood um, in terms of depression, anxiety, and also increased risk of dementia. Wow, that's 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 a fairly decent list there, and you know, as human beings, I think one of the temptations that we have, of course, is to stay up late at night, and you know, the weekend is coming up. It's going to be the weekend tomorrow. There'll be a lot of people who will be like, "Yeah, you know, it's Saturday night. Let's go out and do something." And uh, um, a temptation for Australians is to get not enough sleep on a Saturday night. Um, now, do are, are there other creatures other than humans that actually would do something like that, like decide, you know what, I'm going to uh, do with less sleep on this particular occasion? Yeah, no, we're it, Lyle. So uh, we're the only creature who actually um, chooses to willingly delay sleep. So, yeah, if you look out in the animal kingdom, you don't see any, um, you know, wildlife going out on the on the on the nights to um to stay awake a nice and um party um obviously there's nocturnal creatures but they all tend to follow fairly regular sleep wake cycles right and amongst australians how many of us because i mean the the consequences of not enough sleep from what you've gone through are pretty severe how many of us are at risk how many of us are not getting enough sleep Yes, according to the um, the Sleep Health Foundation, it's actually about 15% of people report issues with insomnia. And, you know, as, as GP, seeing patients who come in with this issue, it, it really is quite distressing. Um, <clears throat> I guess you think about during the nights when it's a long night, there's really nothing to think about too much, and you're lying awake for hours and hours and hours not being able to, to sleep. So it's, it's quite distressing for those who suffer it. Mm, it is indeed. Now... We, we were talking, and we've sort of gone a little bit all over the place here this morning, but we were talking about what happens when we sleep, what happens in the brain, and how the brain, you know, kind of takes a bath, I guess, and cleanses itself uh, while we're asleep. What happens when the sun comes up in the morning? I've, I've, I've often heard that, uh, that we should be waking up with the sun. Uh, is this the case? Yes. What, what regulates your sleep-wake cycle is actually what's called a circadian rhythm. And the circadian rhythm, basically, there's a bunch of hormones, one called melatonin, which is like a sleep-inducing hormone, another one called cortisol. So basically, when uh, cortisol is low, melatonin tends to be high and vice versa. So when you, around about 9 p.m. at night, this is in a in ideal circumstances, um, melatonin starts being released in a little gland in your brain called the pineal gland. And uh, that's when you start feeling a bit dozy, feel like you want to go to bed. Um, that's the way it's meant to work. Then melatonin kicks in, you go to sleep, uh, melatonin stays elevated. Then when the light starts to get bright in the morning through your windows, um, that actually starts turning mel- melatonin off because the light hits the back of your eye and sends a signal to this gland called the pineal gland. So you wake up and um, you feel awake and refreshed. Unfortunately, with artificial light that we get exposed to these days, whether it's through computer screens or whether it's through, um, through TVs, for example, that can actually change things. So we actually can disrupt that natural sleep-wake cycle. 
And uh, that's why people can go to bed at night, say, at 11 p.m. and still wide awake because their melatonin isn't actually um, being released at, at that point. Okay, so we need to be very careful of screens um, at sleep time. And I guess that's a, a message we've been hearing for quite some time now is that uh, screens at night before we go to sleep are going to, uh, to damage there. Um, Dr. Paul Wood, just wondering about, you, you've been talking about melatonin there. This is a question that is, that is sort of, you know, back before COVID, I used to do quite a bit of travel, had friends who used to do quite a bit of travel. And I had friends that would regulate their jet lag by taking artificial melatonin. What's your thoughts there? Yeah, it, it, it is used for jet lag. Um, it, it, sometimes it's used for insomnia. So um, in Australia, you can actually buy melatonin over the counter from the pharmacy. Um, you can't get it in a homeopathic form, so basically there's really nothing in there. Um, there are some compounding pharmacists who make up melatonin. So, you know, some of your listeners have had issues with chronic insomnia. Um, you can either get compounded melatonin or there actually is a product in the market called Circadin, which um, your GP can prescribe. It's a slow release from melatonin. So it does have its place in terms of, um, I guess, helping to get a sleep-wake cycle back on track um, in the short term um, until people can develop those, those sleep habits to, to maintain that in the long run. Okay, so would this be something that would be preferable over uh, sleeping pills? Yeah, definitely. So we, we know sleeping sleeping pills have a, have a sedative effects. They do increase risk of things like falls in the elderly. So, you know, we, we try and avoid prescribing those as much as possible, preferring to go for more than natural options. Um, so melatonin would be less likely to increase risk of falls in those sleeping tablets. Okay, so incredibly important, this whole sleep thing. Um, what are some of the tips that we can do to, you know, because I I speak to a lot of people who struggle going to sleep at night, you know, stare at the ceiling, count sheep, doesn't work, all that kind of stuff. I have other friends who are like, you know what, I just stay up until midnight every night uh, because I can't go to sleep any earlier than that. And so they're not getting their eight hours of sleep. Um, For people who are struggling with sleep, what are some tips that can help us to sleep better? And, and, and I yeah. guess I guess also just for the average person like myself, I, I, I consider myself to be somebody who sleeps well, but can I do better? Yeah, sure. So probably the, the single most important tip I could give you is to have a regular sleep pattern. So that means, and, and, and in terms of going to bed, the time you go to bed is probably less important than the time you wake up. So, you know, trying to wake up at a consistent time seven days a week, particularly if you're somebody who's prone to sleep issues. So that might be 6.30, for example, and um, it, it makes you mean setting your alarm. Um, the temptation when you've had a, a poor night's sleep the night before, it actually just sleep in. And um, that actually tends to, to shift the sleep-wake cycle um, in a way that it actually makes it harder to fall asleep later that night. So getting up at the same time, and if you do adjust your sleep, um, you're going to sleep time, that's the variable you can play around with a bit. So if you're tossing and turning for you know, a couple of hours at night, just try going to bed a little bit later until you find yourself falling asleep quickly and um, and staying asleep for that entire seven, eight hours. And then as time goes by, you can slowly um, try going to bed a bit earlier. So most important step, wake up at the same time or get out of bed at the same time. Um, second tip I would um, give you is to keep beds as a place for sleep and not entertainment. So no watching TV in bed, uh, trying to keep devices out of the room. Um, what you want to train the brain into doing is thinking that bed's a place for sleep and, um, and nothing else. Um, thirdly, a wind-down strategy can help. So in that hour leading up to bed, you know, reading a, 
a book that's not necessarily too exciting or listening to some nice calming music. Um, if you're really being sort of doing lots of high energy, um, brain stimulating things before bed, it's hard to switch off when you wish to just roll over and go to sleep. Um, also keeping your, your room nice and quiet and dark at night. So, and, and, and it's sort of the coolest temperature getting overheat, overheat and tends to, tends to wake you up. So, you know, when you go to bed, pull the, pull the blinds, pull the curtains, um, keep it quiet, use earplugs if you're on a noisy street. And um, then try, just try and find the most comfortable position you can find and try and maintain it for 20 minutes to avoid getting the wriggles, which sometimes happens when you're, when you're in bed. If it's not working, get out of bed, do something else until you feel a bit dozy again and have another crack. Because what, what we're trying to do is avoid that sense of frustration that can occur in bed when you just feel like, oh, no, here we go again. I'm having trouble falling asleep and it's going to happen just like it did last night. So we're just trying to get the brain thinking that sleep's a place for sleep and not for um, being a, a place of frustration. The other tip, um, Lyle, would be to avoid stimulating substances. So caffeine, nicotine would be examples of that. Um, and while some people find alcohol, alcohol to actually fall asleep, um, it can actually lead to fragmented sleep. So um, those are some things to avoid if you're wishing to get not sleep. And if worse comes to worse and you really need a, a nap, um, try and limit, limit it to no more than 20 minutes and make sure it's terminated by 3 p.m. in order to uh, not ruin your, your sleep that night. Okay, so Minnie and I were just having this uh, discussion a little bit earlier uh, about the, the, the value of naps, and I was extolling the virtue of power naps. So uh, less than 20 minutes and before 3 p.m., is what you would recommend, but what you am I understanding? You're saying that the ideal is to not have naps at all. Yeah, look, if you had issues with insomnia, that would be ideal. But um, there is actually some research that um, that shows that some people who do take naps, um, you know, short power naps, actually do have some better uh, long-term outcomes in terms of their health. So that would be fine for somebody who doesn't have issues with with insomnia. Um, think about the siesta that occurs in some of these um, countries in in, um, in the Mediterranean areas, for example. Um, we actually think it may play somewhat into the longevity equation. But if you're one, of, if one person has trouble with sleep, then maybe just try and, and avoid them or, or certainly keep them to minimum. Okay, so one more question real quick. Um, if I have a late night out of necessity, uh, what should I do the next morning? Still get up at the same time or should I have a, try and have a bit of a sleep in to uh, counteract for that late night? Say, say, for instance, I'm getting to bed at, say, 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so, so Lyle, if, if you had no issues with sleep in the past, you're probably fine to sleep in. But if you're somebody who who's, has issues with insomnia previously, um, I'll be getting up at the same time and then trying to factor in a little nut or a pound nut during the day and then try and get to bed, if anything, maybe a little bit earlier that, that night to make up for it. Fantastic. Dr. Paul Wood, thank you so much for joining us this morning and talking about the value of good sleep. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is time for... Question of the day. Okie dokie. So, basically, we have a verse in John 20, verse 23, that says, If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So, our question is really, can humans forgive sins? Okay, so what we're going to look at here, and this um, on face value looks like a very black and white verse. Um, we're going to look at the context of it in just a moment. We're going to go back to verse 21, which is going to help us to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we do, we need to establish a Bible principle. 
and a, hum- a hermeneutical principle. That's a big word. That means how to understand the Bible. And that is that you do not build a doctrine based on obscure text. You build the doctrine based on those verses that are uh, clear and that is the majority of the Bible. And if you find one or two contradictory texts, then it's worth your while having a closer look to see if you missed something. Mm. Okay, so this is one of those verses that is definitely contradictory to a lot of what the Bible has to say. Uh, Mark chapter 2 is uh, an example here where the Jewish people had a very clear understanding of how sins were forgiven and who could forgive sins. And so we're going to flick over there very, very quickly. And Jesus affirms them in what they believe. This is mentioned several places in the Bible. Uh, This is the story of the paralytic in... uh, Uh, verse 5, Mark 2, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick man, the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemy? Who can Mm. forgive sins but God alone? Now what is significant right here is that Jesus affirms that statement Mm -hmm. that God alone can forgive sins. Um, Jesus perceived their hearts and he says, well, what is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up a bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man, so he identifies himself very clearly, the Son of Man, um, the Messiah, has the power to forgive sins. He says, go take up your bed and walk. And so Jesus very, very clearly here affirms that, yes, you're right. Only God can do that. So just in case you're wondering about my identity, this is who I am. Mm. Take up your bed and walk. And the guy just does it. So that's, that's, uh, that's, that's very significant right there. Then uh, if you go to, and there's a whole bunch of verses similar to that. First Timothy 2 verse 15, the Bible says, look, there's only one mediator. Mm. That's it. Between Christ and man, and that is Jesus Christ. There's none other. And we can look at verse after verse after verse. So what about this verse right here in John chapter 20? 20. Let's me flick back over there very quickly. How are we going for time? We might do this over a couple of days if we have to. But we'll try and sneak this in if we can. We'll see how many verses we can get through in a short space of time. John 20 verse 23 where Jesus says to the disciples, Whoever sins you, you, you forgive, they are forgiven. Uh, and whoever sins you retain, they are retained. The context of this is found in verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. So the way that we understand that verse is by looking at how the Father sent Jesus. And we'll, uh, uh, if we you know, look at a few different verses here, for I have not spoken to myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. That's John twelve forty nine. Then John eight twenty eight. I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. Uh, John 7, verse 16. My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. Uh, John 6, verse 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So this is the context in which we're uh, reading this, that we are not here to share our own words, but to share the words of God. Mm. So to cut this short, if God says that somebody's sins are forgiven, then we are to say that their sins are forgiven. Oh, okay. If God does not say that their sins, because we can only repeat the words of what what God has said. Mm-hmm. And so if God declares somebody forgiven, we can't go, well, you know what, I don't really think that they're going to heaven because I don't think their, their, their forgiveness was sincere. 
right? Mm-hmm. You see the point? Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a whole aspect here um, <clears throat> as well in that Paul talks about us being ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador does not speak his own words. An ambassador speaks the words of the government to which he belongs. And so if we read it here, uh, let me see, this one's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. The Bible says, God has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So he's reconciled us by Jesus Christ. That's how we're reconciled. Mm. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, that's the message that we are to share. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and imputing their trespasses unto them and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. We are not to speak our own words. We are to speak the words of the Father. And when the Father says the person's sins are forgiven, then we can tell. You know, when somebody says, I have prayed and forgiven my sins, we can tell them, your sins are forgiven because this is what God has said. We can speak God's words, not our own words. And in that way, the Mm. Bible makes no contradiction whatsoever at all. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.